everybody, it's Rich. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Access Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music, as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access, and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So once upon a time, there's a woman walking along a road and she comes upon three men. And she sees the first man and she says, "Uh, what are you doing? And he said, well, I am making bricks. And she came to the second man and she said, what are you doing? And he said, I am making bricks to build a great wall. She came to the third man and said, what are you doing? And he said, I am building a cathedral. See, the difference between these three men is simply the scope of their vision. All of them were completing the same task, but with completely different energy and excitement and passion and purpose to what they were doing because they understood the greater purpose, the greater vision. And we're going to talk a little bit today over these next few weeks about how powerful vision can be in our lives. But vision starts with one word, and it is uh, maybe for some of you, this is the first word that your child learned. It's certainly the first word that your child learned to say repeatedly, and it is the word no. Wow, I thought you guys were smarter than that, honestly. <laughs> did I mislead you? Did I go down the wrong? I don't think I did. I, okay. All right. Well, knows, knows also a word. That's a different sermon. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> today's sermon is this word, and it is why. It is that question that, honestly, if you've ever had a three-year-old, I mean, it's been a long time since we had a three-year-old, I still get a little bit of a twitch, right? When the kids are like, why, 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 why? Because there's so many layers, and they just keep going, right? It doesn't matter how deep into the rabbit hole you get. Like, there's always one more why? And so we can sometimes uh, just kind of get why to death. In fact, some of you today are going to get in the car and you're going to be leaving church. You'll be driving home and you're going to start to hear the whys. You're going to hear things like, mommy, if I'm not allowed to say that word, why was the pastor's wife saying the word but? A lot of people are going to be saying but today. Just a quick lesson for you. If you're not familiar with barbecue, we're not smoking butts, okay? And we're not asking you to eat any butts. I know it's just a fun word to say, but it's actually the shoulder of the pig. So if any of you are like resistant to, you know, I don't want to eat a pork butt, it's the shoulder of the pig. And the story that I've heard, maybe you've heard a different story, is the reason that it's so familiarly called the Boston butt is actually the barrels that they were stored in were like these shorter versions of a regular barrel that kind of had the nickname back in the days of the Boston butt. So um, what is commonly referred to as the Boston butt is actually the shoulder of the pig. Why are we talking about that? It's going to be so good (laughs) later. That's why we're talking about it, because honestly, it's all I've been able to think about. If you've seen any of the pictures of uh, what guys have posted, you know it's going to be a fantastic afternoon. So let's get to going, because the sooner we finish preaching, the sooner we can start eating, right? Uh, You guys feel that way every Sunday, but I definitely feel that way today. All right, so why? Why is a really big question, and here's why. Why matters? 
Because, and let me tell you something, that word because, whenever you come across that word, you should like pause for a moment. You should prize that word. You should circle that word if it's in text. You should think about that word when you say it out loud to your kids or your spouse or anyone you care about. Because in the word because, there is a tremendous amount of meaning. We have purpose. When we're talking about because, we're talking about purpose. You see, why helps us discover and determine value and priority. When we're asking the question why, we're really asking like, why is this important? We're asking about the value, the significance, the priority. Why gives us the opportunity to explain as parents, as adults, why gives us the opportunity to explain as leaders what really matters and why allows us to cast vision. And we're going to talk these next few weeks about vision. And uh, I'm super excited about this series. This series is, uh, we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah was uh, one of the books of the Bible. You can, you know, look in your Old Testament, you find the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is a guy that lived a long time ago, okay, like 455 BC. But uh, this series that we're doing, we're calling it Not Coming Down. And it is about vision. And I want you to know that this series is for you. Because sometimes when we hear vision, or maybe you've seen books about vision, or you, uh, you see podcasts on vision, and you think, well, I don't know if that's really for me. Like vision seems like something that leaders need to worry about. Vision is something that somebody who's in a CEO office, they need to think about that. They need to cast vision. And then the rest of us are here to kind of execute on that. Or vision is for people who are really a big deal. And I don't know if I'm really that big of a deal. I mean, I'm just trying to get through the week. I'm just trying to keep my kids alive. I'm trying to keep everybody from killing each other. Uh, you know, it's just like, we're just trying to make it to whatever this next short-term goal is for you. So for some of you, the short-term goal is like, just make it through the school year. For some of you, the short-term goal is just make it until nap time right? And you, we're just trying to get by a lot of times. And sometimes when we start to talk about vision, it feels a little bit like, oh, wow, here's something that's just going to have absolutely no practical bearing on my life. Because when we talk about vision, it can seem like we're talking about something that's up here at the 30,000 foot view. And that's all fine and dandy, but I have to live down here on the ground. I don't have the luxury of flying around at 30,000 feet. I'm just trying to get some things done today. And I I just want you to know that you are significant and that you have a purpose and that God has designed you to do great things. And if you're someone here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. I don't know if you're here because a friend promised you a free lunch. This would be a great Sunday to invite a friend, be like, a free lunch and I don't even have to pay for it. But regardless of why you're here, we would say thank you so much for being willing to explore these topics with us. And I would say that this series is going to have some really helpful things for you, regardless of where your faith is centered, regardless of where you find your purpose in life. But I would tell you that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, like this has a special meaning for us because I believe that you were designed on purpose and that you were designed for a purpose. And then for us to just go through life and to not really understand or know or be certain what our purpose is, it's not, that's not an option for us as Jesus followers. Vision is what gives us passion. It gives us motivation. It gives us direction. And it gives us purpose. 
And, and when we, we bring all these things together, a vision is born. And a lot of times when a vision is born, it's not fully formed, it's not fully baked. In fact, it's probably not ready to share with anyone just yet. Sometimes a vision comes to us and it's, it's just pieces and it's bits, but we're gonna walk through today, or I'm gonna help walk you through a little bit of what it looks like for you to think about the vision that God might have for your life, a vision that he might have imprinted upon you that you have not really spent time excavating out of your own heart. And maybe it's because at some point someone has made you feel like, you know what, uh, you're just a doer. You just need to get some things done. Let other people worry about the vision. But I'm telling you, just like the individuals who are making the bricks, if you can understand why you're making the bricks, it will make all the difference for your energy, for your enthusiasm, for your participation in what God wants to do through you in this world. And so we, we all struggle with this, by the way. We all have a problem of just like, you know, I'm gonna get up, I, I don't know about you, I have, we all use different methods for keeping track of our tasks and I've tried everything. I mean, time boxing and lists and sticky notes, everything. And I'm telling you, at the end of the day, there's just still, every time I run out of time before I run out of tasks, right? And so it's really easy to just feel like, man, I'm just getting buried under the necessary, the mundane, the everyday. I don't, I don't even know where I would find the time to pull back and to really think about vision for my life. But the problem is that for many of us, we haven't connected what we do every day to a compelling why. And this is a real challenge for us because when we fall into this place right here where so many of us spend much of our time, it's when we get discouraged, it's when we get frustrated, it's when we get short with the people that are close to us, it's when we become a little bit more challenging to live with, and it is when we get burned out, it is when we become less productive, it is when we begin to lose focus on what the very purpose of our lives are. And I want you to know, as someone who follows Jesus, you have not just the privilege of knowing what the purpose of your life is, but you have the responsibility of knowing what the purpose of your life is because God created you intentionally on purpose and for a purpose. In fact, in Ephesians, Romans, or, or in Ephesians, Paul says this, he says, for you were created, for you were designed, for you were made as God's handiwork. One translation says God's masterpiece, God's workmanship, God's work of art would be probably the most literal translation of that Greek word there is that you are God's work of art. And, and I don't know how you were raised, but I was kind of raised not to think like that. Like that seemed proud or haughty to think of yourself as like God's work of art. Who am I? I'm just a humble sinner, right? Paul, who wrote this, Paul also said that he was the chief of sinners. So you got that tension going on. But we were created, we were designed as God's work of art. Think about that. God made everything else in creation. He made the heavens, he made the stars, he made the ocean, he made the incredible creatures of the sea. Like all these things that just absolutely amaze us. He created sunrises and sunsets. And then, and then he created you. Like this is the masterpiece. 
This is the work of art. And if we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, then we should know what those good works are that we're created to do, which God has prepared in advance. So God's got a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And he's inviting you into that plan. He's inviting you into that purpose. And today, I just want to kick off the series by challenging us for a few minutes to think about what God's purpose, God's plan might be for your life. And I recognize that for some of us, we're at different stages of life. Some of us, we're just starting off. We've got little kids. Our career is just beginning. We feel like the airplane has kind of like just left the ground and we can feel it getting to soar. And you're like, yes, I want to dream about what's possible in my life. Now, some of us have been around a little longer. Some of us remember those optimistic young days. And we're like, yeah, a matter of fact, I remember one of my aunts, I love this woman. She, I remember, oh, I could go on and on about just her faith, her faith. And the way that I love to hear her sit at the piano and play the piano and sing hymns. I remember one time I was just a little guy, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years old. And I was, I used to play piano too. And I was sitting at the piano with her and the end of this one hymn, I don't know why she felt compelled to tell me this. This is a woman who grew, who, who, um, She'd grown up in Florida with my mom, but she'd moved with her husband after World War II to uh, the mountains of West Virginia. And she had raised her family back there in a home that had no indoor plumbing. And um, they had had so many hardships. And she said, if I had known then how hard my life would be, she just told me this as a little guy. She's like, I don't know that I would have signed up for it. It was hard. It was a hard life. But God was faithful. All right, so regardless of where you are in that spectrum, I want you to know if you're still here, God still has a purpose for you. If you're still breathing, God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. I don't know how bumpy the road has been along the way, but God has a purpose for you and he is not done with you yet. And so the question for us, especially for those of us who are believers who say that we follow Jesus, it's, it's this question right here. Are we willing? Are we ready? Are we prepared to align our why for our life with God's why. This is the problem. A lot of us haven't done this yet. We have not yet aligned our why for our life with God's why. And I want you to know that God has a very specific why for your life and you might have a why. And sometimes those are intention. And sometimes that's where we stub our toes. And some of us are thinking, man, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just trying to get through the day. I'm just trying to get through the week. I'm just trying to get to nap time. What could possibly be the big vision for my life? And um, I was reading on this topic over the last few weeks. And one of the things I read, somebody was talking about that. And, and then they said, yeah, I wonder if Billy Graham's parents ever felt that way. Like when Billy Graham was a little kid, if they were just like, you know what? We are serving no purpose here. All we're doing is trying to keep little people from killing each other. And then one of them was Billy Graham. Think about someone who's directly impacted your life, someone who's had a tremendous impact on your life. Have you ever really thought about the people that raised that person and the contribution that those people made to your life and the difference they've made in your life? Guys, God is doing something in us. And I think what frustrates us much of the time is we put a time limit on seeing results. And God doesn't work that way. Sometimes God's timeline is months. 
Sometimes his timeline is years. Sometimes it's decades. And sometimes it is lifetimes. But God is at work. And one of the quotes I've seen that I thought was very powerful in the context of this is to say that your contribution to the world, your contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone that you raise. All right, so with all of that as kind of background, we're going to go into this story of Nehemiah. And we're just going to kick it off. We're just going to dip our toes into it this week. We're going to look a little bit at what God has to say um, when he puts a vision in someone's heart and when a vision is stirred in someone's life. And so if you, uh, if you missed out on your ancient Near Eastern history, uh, the nation of Israel was really just a family, right, that came out of Egypt. So they went into Egypt as a family. They were enslaved for 400 years. By the time they came out, um, there were tens of thousands of them. And then they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Another question about waiting. They went into the promised land, the nation of Israel. And they go into the nation of Israel. They go into the promised land about 1400 B.C. And um, just as all through their time in the desert, their relationship with God had been a little bit like this. After they arrived in the promised land, their relationship with God continued to be a lot like this. And God warned them and he sent prophets to them. And he said, look, if you don't, if you don't surrender to me, if you don't live the way that I've instructed you to live, if you don't really commit to me, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you over to your enemies. And finally, God did that. And so um, in 587 BC, then the Babylonian army came in, conquered Israel, took many of the Israelites uh, captive, took them back to Babylon. If you remember the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were part of that group, right? But there was a, there was a remnant that stayed behind. Um, then there was a second conquering, and, um, but there was a remnant that stayed behind. People who had, who had evaded um, the Medes and the Persians when they came the second time and conquered the northern part of Israel. And they managed to, um, to basically continue to live there for another hundred years. And so there's this small remnant of Jewish people that are still in the land of Israel. And then most uh, Jewish people uh, actually were living outside of Israel. In fact, even at the time of Jesus, most Jewish people lived outside of Israel because they had been dispersed as part of these other nations coming in and conquering. So Nehemiah, uh, we're going to see here in a minute, he's living in what would have been southern Syria. And he's living in southern Syria, and he gets this message about what's going on back in Israel. So here we jump in, chapter 1, verse 1. So the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. This is not once upon a time. This is a very specific time. We can date this on the calendar in history, and we can know exactly who was in charge and where, in fact, they were. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. A vision begins with a problem. And in this moment, Nehemiah is presented with a problem. And it stirs him in his heart. It creates a passion in him. He says, when I heard these things, 
I sat down and wept. It broke his heart. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I mourned and I fasted and I prayed. A good question for us to begin when we begin to think about the vision that God might have for our lives is to simply ask this question, what's breaking your heart? What's breaking your heart? What is so powerful that it would bring you to your knees? What is so powerful that it would cause you to weep and to fast, to mourn and to pray? And to pray. And so in this, we see a couple of things. First of all, we see that this is something that clearly broke Nehemiah's heart. And secondly, we see that the very first thing that he does with his broken heart is turn to his heavenly father and to pray. And you should read, you should always read your Bible. You should read as we're going through this series, you should read along in the book of Nehemiah. And the rest of chapter one is Nehemiah's prayer to God. And we won't take the time to read it this morning, but I would love for you to read it because it is a prayer of a man whose heart is broken. And he acknowledges God and his greatness and all, all that he is. He repents for his, his nation and his, uh, his, his fellow Israelites and their sin, but he also repents personally for his role in this. As we talked about a few weeks ago, he owns his slice and he prays and he repents. And then he asks God to do something on behalf of his people and he yields his will to God's will. That is Nehemiah's prayer through the rest of chapter one. What's breaking your heart? What is bringing you to the place where you are willing to just fall on your knees and give it to God and to yield that to God? And then the next question to ask is, is this a good idea or is this a God idea? Like, is this something that I care about or is this something that God also cares about? Is this something that's breaking my heart? Is it something that's also breaking God's heart. But sometimes, you know, what breaks our heart is we didn't get to go to Disney World this week. And that's just heartbreaking. We have to ask ourselves the question, is this also what's breaking God's heart? And when these two come together, this is when we begin to form what Bill Hybels called a holy discontent. A holy discontent. When we begin to recognize that there's something that is breaking my heart, and it seems to be aligned with, it seems to be in line with what is breaking the heart of God. I remember um, when Stephanie and I were leaving the church that we had served at in Ohio for 15 years. Great church, great people, absolutely loved it there. Still just dearly loved so many of those people that we left behind. But um, we were up front, like the last Sunday in front of the congregation, kind of farewell thing. And someone came up to us afterward and they said, um, your heart must really be breaking for the people of Jacksonville. And I thought that was interesting. I, in their mind, why would you leave Akron, Ohio for Jacksonville, Florida? <laughs> 
it must only because God has put a vision in your heart for Jacksonville, Florida, right? And I was like, hmm, I can think of a lot of reasons to leave Akron, Ohio and move to Florida. Um, But it actually wasn't because God was breaking our heart for the people of Jacksonville. It was because God had broken our heart for people that were far from God. And, And that's a phrase we throw around in church all the time. And I don't really believe anybody's far from God. I think God's like right on your heels. Like run as fast as you want, run as far as you want. Dude, God's, God's gonna catch you. He is right behind you. Don't look over your shoulder. God's coming for you, okay? So I don't think we're far from God, but if you know what I mean by that, people that feel far from God. There are so many people who feel far from God. And that breaks my heart. And I know that breaks God's heart because he sent his son to seek and to save the lost. That is the one sentence job description that Jesus had. That is the mission statement for the life of your savior. His mission statement for his life was clear that he came to seek and save the lost. And so for Stephanie and I, whether the lost were in Akron, Ohio, or whether the lost were in St. John's, Florida was secondary to us. But we came here because God was already doing something. There was a movement of God that had begun here. And we decided, you know what? One of the things you need to look for is where is God moving? And how do I get on board with what God is already doing in the world? How do I take my life, my talent, my time, my treasures, my abilities, my relationships? How do I take that and partner that and steward that with God to come alongside and to invest in what God is doing in the world? And there was a group of people here that had already begun to pray that God would do something in this city to create a church, not because this community needed another church, but because this community needed environments for people who were felt far from God to feel invited into relationship while they explored faith along the way. A place where people could belong before they believe. And so we partnered with that vision And I remember uh, we moved here and, um, you know, kind of, you don't need a whole story, but random set of circumstances, we ended up renting in St. John's Golf and Country Club. I don't usually say the full name of my neighborhood because I think it's ridiculously pretentious. (laughs) And honestly, I'm a little embarrassed that I live in there, you know? But that's where God put us. And by far... We live in the nicest neighborhood we've ever lived in our lives. We live in the nicest house we've ever lived in our lives. And I hadn't lived here very long before it sort of started to feel like everybody that I met had it all together. Everybody that I met was professionally successful. They, they seemed to like have a really good family dynamic going on. They seemed like really great people. And meanwhile, And you guys have to remember, this is like 2006 and everybody blogged back then. Um, I was following a friend of mine who was starting a church in inner city Atlanta. And I was reading his blog and he was talking about like meeting these homeless people and like just this like incredible gritty ministry that he had. And, and, And I'm like sitting on 210 in traffic and, uh, I'm looking and there's like a guy next to me in his BMW 
And I, I just remember thinking that specific morning, like, God, do you really need me here? I mean, these people, they seem like they're fine. And it was that morning, I feel like God just hit me with a two by four. Sorry. He said, the hell, and I don't know anything about that man in the BMW. I'm sure he's a very nice man and I'll see him in heaven someday. But what I heard that morning was the hell that he is bound for is just as real as the hell that anybody in the inner city is bound for. Like get out of your earthly perspective, get into your eternal perspective. This is not about helping people have a little better lifestyle. This is about helping people connect with their heavenly father for all eternity. And that is a vision that I can get on board with. That is a vision that broke my heart. And the question I'm asking you for today is what's breaking your heart? And is what's breaking your heart aligned with what is breaking the heart of God? I'm not asking you to have my vision. I'm not asking you to to copy any of my experiences or my story, but I am asking you to enter into a dialogue with your heavenly father over the next couple of weeks. And I want you to ask him this question. I want you to explore this question in your time with God. Okay, we got to keep moving on. Talk about Nehemiah because we've got barbecue waiting. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now this is so important. Bible stories are not once upon a time. They are specific in their time and their place and their location. And Artaxerxes, real dude, you should know one fun fact about Artaxerxes. He was actually murdered by a trusted servant. So that's kind of interesting context for this. Um, So his father was murdered. So he's actually Artaxerxes II, but they wouldn't have said that then, certainly not to his face. But this is actually four months later. Four months later. So Nehemiah has been given a vision. It seems so clear that God would be on board with this vision because God had said that Israel would be a light to the nations. He had a very specific purpose for Israel. He had a very specific purpose for Israel to have a city, Jerusalem, that was walled, that was protected, that was secure. Like it seems so clear that this would be a vision from God. And and let me just say, some of us, we would have not still been around four months later. Some of us, and I know who some of you are, you would have been out over the wall, out of the city that night, and you'd be off to Jerusalem to solve the problem, right? Because, hey, God's given me a vision. Why wait? I am going to charge ahead and I'm going to fix this problem. And let me tell you, God bless you, Enneagram 8s. The world needs you, right? We do. And we all, we're all this part of this wonderful woven fabric together. But sometimes, sometimes we have to pause and we have to wait a minute. And sometimes God is at work even when we don't see him working. And sometimes that means you have to wait four months while you are mourning and while you are fasting And while you are praying, you have to wait for four months. In fact, four months in terms of a lot of these Bible stories, you know, that's short term, right? Moses was like, hey, God gave me a vision, free the people of Egypt. God said, that's awesome. Glad you got the vision. You're going about it all wrong. We're not going to start off killing Egyptians one by one. I'm going to send you out in the desert for 40 years to wait 
Maybe God's called you to wait for four months. Maybe he's called you to wait 40 years. Maybe it's somewhere in between, but there's a season often where we have to wait while God is working, even while we're waiting. Okay, in the month of Nisan, so that's four months later, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. See, he's a cupbearer for the king, so he's very trusted. He's one of the, probably there were several cupbearers, but he's one of the most trusted people to be close to the king. And the king is literally trusting him with his life, especially, remember, the, the king's father was murdered by one of his servants. So he's putting a lot of trust into Nehemiah. And I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why? There's our good question. Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? <laughs> that had to be the king's first concern, right? I mean, are, are you ill? Because you're my cupbearer and you're tasting everything before I taste it. So first of all, let's make sure. Okay, good. All right, you're not ill. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid because to show any kind of negative emotion in the king's presence, in the king's presence, you were supposed to be just always happy and joyful. But to be real, to be authentic, to be sad was a big deal. So I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said, what is it that you want? And this is awesome. And then instead of responding immediately to the king, he prayed. In the pause, he prayed. That is such a great challenge for us. Before you just run right in, before you unroll the plan, you pray. And in that moment, he prayed to the God of heaven. And then I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, this is powerful because this is the same city that the Medes and the Persians had felt the need to conquer and tear down because that city was a threat to them. And now, here it is, a couple of generations later, and Nehemiah's like, hey, you know that city that was a threat to you? I'd like to go and rebuild that. That's a big ask. And then the king, with the queen sitting behind, beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me so I set a time. And then he goes further. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, because he had been praying specifically, read chapter one, for God's favor, the king granted my requests. Now, the king granted his requests because God granted him favor. But the requests that he knew to make were only because he had actually spent time planning and preparing for this moment. You see, while Nehemiah was praying, he was also planning 
and he was also preparing. He was acting as if God might actually answer his prayers. Go ahead. So pray for opportunities and plan as if you expect God to answer your prayers. Pray for opportunities and plan as if you expected that God would actually answer your prayers. See, God wasn't idle and Nehemiah wasn't idle either. He was believing that God shared this vision with him, that he had a vision that aligned with God's vision. And so he was asking God to be at work behind the scene. Pray for opportunities and plan as if you expect God to answer your prayers. Going to the next slide. All right, this is a book um, that uh, I read, I don't know, a few years ago, and um, I found it to be really helpful, so I'd recommend it to you. Not, it's not a Christian book, it doesn't come from a Christian perspective, but it's just a book about developing a vision for primarily for your organization, but I think it has some relevant things to say also about preparing a plan for your life. And so I wanna leave you with this challenge here today. Here's how I'm gonna get real practical with this message. Uh, one of the things that this book challenges you to do is to develop a plan that is three years out. Now, we have all been part of vision statement meetings at work, and they're awful, right? They're just, oh, man. I have a friend of mine, he loves those things. Like, he can sit there and wordsmith these things for days. And you come up with this perfect statement. And I get it. Like, vision statements are really valuable, right? They do help keep you on track. The problem is that by... By necessity, they're short and succinct. And because they're short and succinct, then they're also, uh, they leave a lot of room for interpretation, right? So like our vision statement here at Access Church is that we want to inspire people to follow Jesus. That's it. We keep it super simple, super short. Inspire people to follow Jesus. Everything that we do, we want to make sure that it's inspiring people to follow Jesus. That's where we want to put our money. That's where we want to put our time. That's where we want to put all of our energy into inspiring people to follow Jesus. The problem is it's really broad. And so different people can come away from that and you can fit almost anything under that umbrella. And so you have to get specific. And so this is the first book where someone actually said that your vision should be about four pages long, like typed out, single spaced, four pages long. I'd never heard anybody say that before. And to go through and to describe every facet of your organization, or as we're going to apply it today, every facet of your life. And I, I think one of the ways to start with this is through mind mapping. I don't know if you've ever done a mind map, but a mind map is just basically you start to kind of draw things everywhere. Um, it's not naturally how I work creatively. I'm more of a like put it in an outline kind of a guy, but I do have a mind mapping app. And this is one of the, this is where you start, just something like this, where you'd say, here's my vision for my life three years from now. And I'm kicking off this series now because so many times we've done this kind of a talk in January and I've had people say afterward, you know what? Like I've already hit the ground running. I'm already into things by January. So I'm telling you now that the year is almost up. And you should start now thinking ahead and making plans. What does the next three-year window of your life perhaps look like? And I want you to set a date, December 31st, 2026, three years from now. And I want you to carefully craft a vision. It starts with just some bullet points, but carefully craft a vision of what will your life look like three years from now? What does your faith look like? And how's your faith grown? What does your marriage look like? Or if you're not married, what does your primary relationship look like? Your relationship with your best friend or your sister or your mom? 
From a parenting perspective, what do, you, what do you hope for your kids? What's your vision for your kids? What about your friendships? Wow. Have you thought about a vision for your friendships? Have you thought about like, what does it really look like to be intentional about my friendships? Honestly, probably a lot of the women in here have done a great job of that. Probably a lot of the men in here, that thought has never crossed their mind until just now. They're like, I don't know, like, just show up, you know? Well, what would it look like to be intentional and strategic about your friendships, about your finances, about your fitness, about your career? Where do you want things to be three years from now? Now, I recognize that the challenge that many of us have with this kind of vision setting or goal setting is that we can't control these things. And this is why a lot of us pull back and we hesitate. We don't want to be specific because the reality is we can't control these things and we don't want to be embarrassed even to ourselves three years down the road when these things haven't come true. And I just want to tell you, Nehemiah had no control over what was going to happen. But he just showed up every day and he went to work. He showed up every day and he was the cupbearer. And day after day after day, he had to just think, really, God? Like, he didn't even know that the vision was going to necessarily be made possible through Artaxerxes. He probably had no idea how it was going to work out. But he did what he could do while trusting God to do what he couldn't. Do what you can do. And trust God to do what you can't. Now, when was Nehemiah successful? Was it when the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt? Was it when he arrived in Jerusalem with all the equipment and the materials that the king had given him? Was it when the king granted his request for the materials and the letters of safe passage? Or was it when he just knelt and surrendered to God's will for his life? If you read Nehemiah chapter one, he prays this prayer. And then the very last sentence of the chapter is, I was cupbearer to the king. Like, now I go to work. I don't know when, when I don't know if God's going to answer my prayer but now I go to work. Waiting time is not wasted time. You may be called right now to wait, but God can be doing something in you and in the heart of the king, whoever the king is in your story, but God can be doing something in you and in the heart of the king while you are waiting. Look, everybody ends up somewhere, so you might as well end up there on purpose. I want you to end up somewhere on purpose. I want you to have a vision for your life. I'm going to wrap things up here, but God created you on purpose and with a purpose. And I want you to discover over these next few weeks what that might be and I want you to walk into the new year with a renewed passion 
and energy and enthusiasm for the role that God has given you here. Even if what you continue to wake up and do every day is just serve wine, serve wine to other people, not to yourself, serve wine. And even if that's what God has called you to do every day and it seems to have no connection to his vision for your life, that you would know with passion and with motivation and enthusiasm and purpose, God wants to do something through you. And if you're still here, he is not done with you yet. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for the ways that you work in our lives and through our lives. And we just ask that as we yield to you, as we surrender to you, you would take just our hearts and our lives and you would use it for your purpose and for your name and for your kingdom. We ask all this in your name, amen.